Morning, church. As Leah says, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 to 9. It grew up on the screen. Good. Um, but mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous and rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with such people. They are the kind who worm their way into the homes and gain control over gullible women who are loaded down with sins and swayed by all kinds of evil desires, always learning but never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so also these teachers oppose the truth. They are men of depraved minds who, as far as the faith is concerned, are rejected. But they will not get very far because, as in the case of those men, their folly will be clear to everyone. Thanks, Dean. So, yeah, pretty full-on passage, but... Um part of this letter and part of this letter for a good reason. So let's pray that God would um, yeah, help us to understand it as we read it together now. Loving Father, we give you great thanks for your word. Uh, Lord, please apply it to our lives. Help me to speak it clearly and encourage us in following Jesus through it. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, back in Armidale, I lived there from 2011 to 2015. There's the university just kind of on the edge of town. And then a bit, of a, a bit of a big town, small city right in the middle of, of town. Now, I don't know how clear that map is, but the orange blob out on the far side is the university. There's the town in the middle. And every year during autumn, they'd run a fun run. Um, now, I think that's the worst name for a run because no running's fun really, is it? But they'd have the campus to city canter. Anyway... One Sunday at church, I was chatting to my mate Steve, and he'd run in it on the Saturday. And I said, how did you go? And he said, I, I play seventh. And now, like, hundreds of people go in this race, and it's only six kilometres, but he came seventh. Like, that's really good, man. And he was actually um, only living in Armidale for one year, so he'd never done it before. He was never going to do it again. And he just thought, oh, something to do. I'll run in it. He came seventh. Although that was pretty good. You'd be happy with that, wouldn't you, Bob? You would be. Now, the thing I haven't told you about Steve yet is Steve was actually from Kenya. So that's Steve. Um, he's pretty cool. He was very cool kind of guy. He played the trumpet. I actually got to play with him a bit. We did some jazz arrangements of some hymns and things like that. And you can see him there. He's really taken off. In Kenya, this guy's a big deal. But anyway, in Armidale, he went for a run. And he came seventh. Now... I was talking to him about it and I said, Steve, what, you know, you don't seem that happy about it. Because he kind of felt a bit like, oh, yeah, no, it was all right, but I probably could have done better. And I said, why, why do you think you didn't do that well? That's, that's a really good result. And he said, well, I didn't actually look at the map. I didn't actually go and look at the course that the, that the run went on. He just, he just kind of followed the pack. Now, when there's only six people in front of you, there's not many people to follow. And he had no idea, really, the relative distance. So he couldn't tell when he was close to the end to put a sprint on. This guy, look at him. He's, he's African, so he's able, you know, they're natural runners. And he pretty much did, did that on sheer 
um, what would you say, like sheer natural ability without any of the actual strategy or things that goes in to winning an event like that. Now, Paul has written this letter to Timothy for his encouragement. And specifically, what he wants to encourage him in is perseverance. He's actually making it to the end and making it to the end well. And so, unlike what Steve did, which did no preparation for the run, but just kind of like fudged his way through it, Paul is writing for the purpose of of preparing Timothy for what lies ahead of him. So that as he goes on the journey of following Jesus, he can be well prepared for it. So as we've been hearing from 2 Timothy, we've been hearing different things like that. And I'm going to take us back to some important stuff that's in chapter 1, just to give this context. But I want you to be thinking about this passage, and with all its, you know, pretty serious topics and even difficult things to hear, and I want you to understand that this is Paul preparing us for the course, preparing us for a life of following Jesus. And really what he's laying out in this passage, quite specifically, is the obstacles, the obstacles that lay ahead of us. See, as we look at this part of God's Word, we see the course that we've been invited by Jesus to run so we can properly be prepared for it. So what is the course that we have been set to run? What I think we see in this passage is that the course that we're called to is to kind of run back through the rest of the pack. Imagine Steve not finishing the race but turning around and actually running back to the university. Not only would he, he might know where he's going now, but he'd have to get through a crowd of people to get there. You might picture it as a school of fish swimming down a river. Um, I don't know what's happening to me, but I went fishing again yesterday and no one asked me to, no one invited me. I actually came up with the idea. I'm scared. I'm not sure what's happening to me. Um, Basically, back in the holidays, we were down at the river just playing and someone pumped a whole heap of yabbies. So I went home and got the fishing rod for Sunny and we cast it and we caught a fish straight away. And then we cast it like seven more times and caught two more fish. And I'm like, wow, this is kind of fun, but I hate fishing. I don't actually want to, I don't want to go down this path. Anyway... Then he kind of kept on talking about fishing, so I did take him again. But yesterday, it was completely me that initiated it. I'm, please pray for me. But <laughs> while I was down there, I, I, was, um, I was watching little schools of fish, not the ones that were going to, I didn't even get a bite yesterday, but the little schools, and you see how they swim together in a little pack. It's almost as if Paul's saying that the Christian life is turning around as one of those fish and swimming back through the crowd. Just one more analogy. Last year, at the end of the year, we took our youth group out to the Maloney's and they all jumped in the pool and no one drowned, which is great. But even better than that, I got them all to do a whirlpool. So run around the edge in the water and make the water stir right up. And then I said, okay, reverse. And all of a sudden, they all are like going to slow motion and they're trying to go back against the force of the water that they've created as they've created this whirlpool. Whichever of these images sits best for you, I think that's what Paul's saying the Christian life is like. In this passage, he's describing what it's going to be like to live for Jesus 
among people that aren't in, in doing that, who aren't there, who are still in their sin. Jesus said it this way. He said, enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the road that is easy that leads to destruction, and there are many who take it. For the gate is narrow and the road is hard that leads to life, and there are few who find it. And so I want us to consider three things from this passage that will help to prepare us for this. I want us to consider what it means that we're in the last days, as Paul speaks about at the start. I want us to look at the way that sin will continue in our lives. And then finally, where this passage leaves us, what the result of sin will be. So Paul starts this section by saying, but understand this, that in the last days, there will come times of difficulty. Talking about last days can be confusing, and lots of Christians have had lots to say about what this means. Some will talk about signs, and they'll be looking into things that are happening in history, happening in the world today, and try to formulate different theories and stuff about what the last days mean. Some, however, just seem to go on with life as if it's never going to end and are thinking about um, well into the future as if the return of Jesus isn't really something that factors in to much of what they do. And you kind of get these two extremes. Why does Paul remind us that our days are the last days? Because that's what he's teaching, that we are in those last days right now. What does he mean by that? It kind of reminds me of the month of December, the last days of the year. Now, in the school context, you get to those last days, you get to those few final assemblies. Maybe if you've got kids or you are a student, the report card comes home and you know that you've got these six or seven weeks ahead of you, uh, which will either be agony if you've got your kids at home (laughs) or if you're a kid, you're like, yes, I've got all this freedom for this next little bit of time. Talking about this reminds us of what is past and what lies ahead. And so that's what he's talking about. For us as Christians, we're aware of those things too. And this is where we need to look back at what Paul's already said. From chapter 1, we see some things that are in the past and see to the future. Verse 6, he says this. Paul says, For this reason I remind you, Timothy, to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the Spirit of God gave us, sorry, for, for the Spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. To lead us into these last days, what has already happened in the past is God has given his spirit. He's given his spirit to his church. He's given his spirit to believers to keep them on this course. It means that through the Spirit, we have power to live this life. We have the power to be transformed into love. And we're given the power to exhibit self-discipline. It means supernaturally, by God's Holy Spirit, we can endure these last days. And that should be of great encouragement to us. Not only that, but in the past, God has revealed His gospel He's given us his good news that he has given Jesus his only son. 
Jesus has saved us from our sin. It's the passage that I read at the start of the service. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. That's not the same one, is it? So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. He has saved us, past tense. He has called us into a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. God has given us hope. Jesus has saved us, and that is also in the past. And then finally, the next part where it says, the grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Saviour, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. See, God has given us hope, hope that Jesus has abolished death, that he was risen. And so we're not to fear dying, but to look forward to eternity with God. These are the last days, and they're set between the cross and the resurrection and the future hope of our own resurrection. This is what Paul has already taught Timothy about these last days. Timothy, you have God's Spirit. You are saved by Jesus and you have a sure hope for the future. And if you're a Christian, you can take those promises for yourself. If your faith is in Jesus, you have God's Spirit. You are saved by Jesus and your future, the hope of that is certain. So this is what is true of these last days. But Paul says that, well, even though that is as good as it is, it's actually going to be more difficult than it sounds. There's going to be some obstacles. And the obstacles are because sin, although it's been dealt with on the cross, it hasn't been abolished yet. It will be difficult because even though we have all these great things, we're going to be those fish swimming against the school. We're going to be the people that are on the narrow road that Jesus spoke about. So why will it be difficult? Well, look at what Paul says there. People will love themselves. They will love money. They will be proud and boastful. They will be abusive. They will be disobedient to their parents. They will be ungrateful. Don't just let these wash over you. Let, let them hit your ears and your heart and think about what I'm actually saying here. They will be unholy. They will be unloving or heartless. They will be slanderous. They will have no self-control. They will be brutal. They will not love anything that is good. They will be treacherous and reckless and swollen with conceit. They will love pleasure. They will not love God. And they will appear to be godly or they will appear to be good, but they will ignore God's power. So I think when we read this kind of part of the Bible, and it is a big list, so I'm not going to unpack every single one of those 18 things and what they mean. But we're to have no disillusion about what humans are really like. Apart from the grace of God, this is us. And these, this, is, this is the people that we live with. This is every person. In one way, it's saying that we are not like God. 
despite being made in his image, through sin we have failed. We have stopped resembling him. In my sinfulness and your sinfulness, this is what we're like. 